Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. You got to come close to the microphone. Hi, my name's Cash. Welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast with my mom. Hello, hello. That's true. I'm his mom. I'm also your host for the Auto Parent Podcast. My name is Reverend Casey Vanatta Casebeer. I am an associate pastor and director of family ministries at Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C., and I'm a mom. Y'all, whatever we need this podcast to be, whether it's a space for solidarity or hope, to receive permission to tell guilt and shame to kick rocks. Whatever we need for this parenting journey, I pray we find it here together. So come on, let's pray toward it and let's do it. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast episode 12. I'm your host, Pastor Casey, and I have a really special guest with me today that I don't think you're actually going to believe. It's pretty amazing. Like, I can't believe we got her. To get, She's rolling her eyes and laughing at me. Uh, my mom is joining us on the podcast today. Her name is Kim Vanatta. She works for the Tennessee Highway Safety Office. Not that that credentials you for my podcast, but I just feel like everybody should know what you do. Blank stares are what I'm receiving from her in this moment. Anyway, so welcome my mom to the pod. Hi, mom. <laughs> We're not gonna. No, 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 no. We're not gonna do this. Okay, you start over. All right. So I was only joking. Um, tell us what the THSO does. Tell us what you do for a living. All about your job. The Tennessee Highway Safety Office is to. It's gonna. That's gonna be so boring when I say it. It's. It's to reduce fatalities on our roadways. However, one of my responsibilities is to monitor our sporting contracts. So actually they force me to go to sporting events to make sure our signage is up. So actually I just I have to go to basketball games. Right. I have to go to professional football games. It's just to to, it's torture. Horrible. Yeah. But I'm just forced to go. <laughs> For those of you who don't know this, which you actually may not know this because I'm not sure we've addressed it on the podcast before, but I played basketball in college uh, and my mom was a collegiate basketball coach for a really long time, too. Actually, so I was also an All-American. Okay. All right. So we're actually recording this live in a small hotel room in Memphis that I'm not sure we'll be able to contain her head much longer. <laughs> we don't want to mention the Hall of Fame. Too. I was also an All-American. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. Anyway, so she's totally joking. It is not torture at all for her to monitor these contracts. The thing. She's also in the Hall of Fame at Lipscomb University. She's kind of a big deal. Let's just get right into it, because that's one of the things that I already have a complex about. Both of my parents are in Athletic Hall of Fames, both of them. And if I don't ever get into an Athletic Hall of Fame, like, what does that say about me? Uh, aren't you in counseling already? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, touche. Here on the podcast, when we have a special guest, I always ask two very important questions. Number one is, what is your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is people not doing what they say they will do. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I remember, this is so funny. I, do you remember Tara Tansel? 
Of course you do. She had a sign on her desk that said D-W-Y-S-Y-W-D. And I was like, what does that mean? And she was like, it means do what you say you will do. Like, it was a big deal. So uh, you must have fostered that as an environment. (laughs) No, I just don't like being lied to is the main thing. I want people to do what they say they will do. Yeah. I mean, me too. I feel like that's a given. I don't I don't know. I just don't feel like that happens to me very often that people don't do what they say they're going to do. But yeah, it's frustrating when that happens. Well, that's what I just said. It was a pet peeve. Of course it's frustrating. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to say that your biggest pet peeve was getting speeding tickets. And then I, I was going to say, well, if you don't like it, then why do you get them so much? <laughs> and I don't get them that much because I don't speed. Totally. I for the highway safety office. Why would I speed? I know speed kills. <laughs> Let's see. I want to I want to see if I can think of another pet peeve for myself. Oh, well, I have a pet peeve that I do that frustrates me myself. Well, it probably frustrates me as well. What do you got? Well, (laughs) I think it frustrates Greg, too. Um, But my pet peeve is of myself is that I don't change the toilet paper roll but here's my actually you hang it the wrong way too <laughs> oh no we have to talk about this no no no. we're going to talk about it because when i'm at her home then there are toilet paper empty toilet paper rolls in the sink because she won't throw them away the, the, if you throw them away then you know you'd have to have another one on the roll the but you need boys. to hang it correctly I'm, this no, no, no. Boys. This is about you. No, no, no. This isn't about me because the boys do take those toilet paper rolls and throw them all over the world. Number one. Number two, I do not change the toilet paper roll. But that's because I have the biggest pet peeve in the world, which is that they are making toilet paper rolls bigger and bigger and bigger. And they are not changing the distance of the toilet paper hanger from the wall. Like those two industries need to communicate. The toilet paper industry and the toilet paper hanging industry are are not in communication right now and I'm infuriated about it. You can't change the t- you have to wait after you've used a certain amount of toilet paper before you can actually put it on the toilet paper hanger because that's the only way it will fit and also toilet paper rolls under. No, the toilet paper doesn't roll under. Yes, it, it does. Forward. No, that you're completely Auto right. parent family, <laughs> I need to know. No, you can google that. You you the way the hotels hang it is correct. It's supposed to be over. It's not supposed to be under. If you have so much trouble with your freaking thing on the wall, then get one of those uh toilet stands, toilet paper stands and put it on those. Then you got no problems at all. Listen, auto parent people, I need you to weigh in and tell us whether or not you hang your toilet paper to where Correctly, it comes. Correctly, which is over, <laughs> or incorrectly, which is under. I need to know whether or not your toilet paper is over or under. And while we're on it, let's just ask the Foundry Youth question as well. Do you scrunch or roll your toilet paper? Scrunch or roll your yeah. toilet paper? When you use it, do you scrunch it or do you roll it? I guess it depends on the thickness of the toilet paper. No, 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 no. I won't tell you what the right answer is because I I will refuse to not acknowledge the sanctity of that question with the Foundry Youth, but there is a correct answer. There is sanct... You guys need need to work on other things. (laughs) You were discussing... I was talking about what a great pastor you are, but if the toilet paper scrunch or... Or fold is a that actually issue? predates me. That's that's their own sacred 
important so question. What? You, they don't trust you if you scrunch. No, I'm not. We're not talking about what the correct answer is because we got to preserve is no the sanctity. Answer. There is. There is a correct answer. Okay, so that's pet peeves. Now let's talk about this. This is one of my favorite questions to ask. And again, like I say this every time, it does not have to be a good story. But can you think of either the hardest time you've ever laughed or one of the hardest times you've ever laughed? Well, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, do do I have to be sober? (laughs) (laughs) No, of course not. Well, recently, we can talk about the fact that we've been laughing really, really hard about a really horrifying incident that occurred. (laughs) (laughs) Greg and I were driving, and this was in Nashville. We were driving, and right in front of us, a car flew off of an overpass. It flew off of an overpass and landed. Um, It hit a Jeep, and then it hit the guardrail. And so Greg and I pulled over to see, you know, to make sure that everything was okay. It, of course, wasn't. We called the police. I also called my mom, who at that point is driving behind us, and so she pulls over, too. And she had just retired from copping or were you still copping i don't know if you're copping okay let's back up for a second retire retired didn't happen but copping is not a word (laughs) enforcement enforcement Uh, whatever you were a cop okay so at that point i don't recall if she was still a cop or if she had quit copping but so i call her and i'm like you have to pull over the craziest thing in the entire universe just (laughs) happened okay so All of this worked out and everybody was okay. It's the only reason it's funny. And also it's been years like this traumatized us for a really long time. So anyway, we're at the point now where it's it's a little bit funny to think about the fact that a car flew off of an overpass, landed directly in front of us. My mom shows up and the guy who flew off the overpass is fine. He's wasted, but he's fine. My mom approaches the vehicle and says, sir. Sir, I do not talk like that. <laughs> Let me do my character. <laughs> it's like a Cecily Strong impersonation at this point. Sir, sir, please do not exit your vehicle. Sir, this is what she says. <laughs> and he says, okay, but there's a pillow in my trunk. Can you get it for me? <laughs> She's like, no, sir, do not exit your vehicle. I don't care if you have a broken neck or not. You're just going to have to lay there. Do not move. And he gets out of the car and goes and lays down in the middle of the street. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever been a part of in my entire life. The police officers show up. They are getting like our statements, our witness statements of what happened, and they talk to me. They have to talk to people separately, right? So so they they're talking to all of us separately, and they ask me first, okay, what happened? Where did the car come from? Like, how is the car all flipped around? Like, did it twist? Did it turn? I was like. Yo, it came from off the overpass. It flew off the overpass. And if you could have seen how quickly this law enforcement officer dismissed me, he was like, okay, (laughs) ma'am. Okay, I'm going to the next person because clearly you're not your right Clearly, mom. she's the inebriated one here. So he went to the next person, Greg. Greg said the same thing. It flew off of that overpass up there. And I think eventually they figured it out, but it was so fun. They did not. I mean, they did not believe that that was even possible. I didn't know that was possible. Um, and there were no tire tracks or anything because literally it was air. It was in the air. 
it flew off of an overpass until it ran into a jeep and then into a guardrail it was like i said it was horrifying it's been many years that's the only reason we're able to sort of laugh about it at this point but the situation was just so bizarre and then to imagine my mom just approaching this person to say sir sir do not exit your vehicle do not talk like that He did not need to get out of his car, obviously. (laughs) I mean, look what he did. He laid in the middle of the road. I know, and he's okay. He was fine, but then he's going to get run over by cars. Uh, It was insane. It was was seriously the most bizarre circumstances ever. So that's, I mean, we're still continuing to laugh about it pretty hard, but I remember being almost in tears while talking about this recently. Any, can you think of any other times that we've laughed pretty hard? You have to agree we've been laughing pretty hard at that recently. <laughs> In excess, actually, <laughs> for the past two days. Because you feel like it's In at your expense. expense. Yes, because you think I speak like that as a law enforcement <laughs> officer. And I do not. I was merely trying to keep him inside his car. <laughs> So he didn't get run over by other cars. And then he got out and laid in the road. Well, I've done all I can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Yeah, so can you think of another time that you've laughed really, really hard? All I can think of right now is that stupid story because it's all you've been talking about for two days. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm sure as soon as we finish recording the podcast, you'll think about a million stories of us laughing together because we spend so much time laughing together. I think one one of the times that I can recall is I used to do this thing where I would film you during Duke games, which was hilarious. That was really funny. <laughs> it would make us laugh pretty hard. And I mean, obviously, like, we're big Duke fans, so it was hilarious to see how worked up both of us get during Duke games. This year doesn't count, by the way. It doesn't count at all, and I don't know why people are saying that it counts when nobody has played every every game of the season. This has been a pandemic year. We've had no Cameron crazies, and you can't have Cameron crazies in the gym. You can't have a real season, and we won our last game. And then COVID hit again, somebody in our Tier 1 group. Got COVID, so then our season was over. But we won our last game. I have, yeah. I opened the can of worms. I went there. And also, I I can corroborate and agree with everything that she's (laughs) saying. This year deserves an asterisk beside it. Um, It's just been, among everything else, like... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Especially if you're a Duke fan, you understand how much the Cameron Crazies mean. And, And... double that if you've been in the building and been a Cameron crazy then you absolutely know and understand how important the sixth man is we may need to have a moment of silence (laughs) would you like for me to um (laughs) to facilitate a prayer (laughs) it really hurts we're actually going to see Duke tonight oh yeah so we're we're recording this like i said in a hotel room in memphis and tonight the grizzlies are playing the boston celtics and grayson allen and justice winslow and tyus jones all play for memphis and we're pretty excited to go see some of our former dookies absolutely we get to see three of them the tripper One of my personal faves. We made this trip for you, Grayson <laughs> Allen. Made this trip for, for the trip Grayson. We've had a good time. We we had Leonard's barbecue, which was, I think it was featured on, what's that Guy Fieri show? Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Dives, drivers, and drivers. Drivers. It's not drivers. Dollar. Dip. Anyway. Leonard's Barbecue is a staple in Memphis, and we had that right when we got here because, of course, and it was phenomenal. And 
weekend. Amazing. And then we spent last night on Bill Street listening to some blues and having a blast. My mom lost her phone and there were these girls who found it and took care of us and shout out to them. We don't know their names, but we love you and thank you for for being good people because people are good. And now let's do some parenting fails. Actually, for our first segment, parenting fails, confessions, and wins, what I thought might be fun for this particular episode is for me to confront my mom with all of her parenting fails and have her try to defend herself. So this is going to be a very short podcast, right? Remember what I said about how small this hotel room is and how inflated her ego is? (laughs) Okay, so first parenting fail right off the bat that I can remember. Are you ready for this? I am. So when I was young, obviously both of my parents were collegiate basketball coaches. We were on the road quite a bit. We traveled a lot in buses, cars, planes, you name it. We were all over the place. I remember at one point driving through Atlanta with you. I'm young. I don't know how young, but I'm young. Okay. Okay. I'm very, very hungry. I'm starving. In fact, very hungry. I've said to you, can we like pull off and get food at a fast food restaurant? And you being the person that you are, are like, no, we have to make it through Atlanta traffic. We have to keep going until we get through this bottleneck. And I'll have you know that that was at like noon and I didn't eat until 8.30 p.m. Okay. um, And it scarred me for life. I'm still talking about it. And you obviously lived through it because you've eaten since then. However, if you have to get anybody who's been to Atlanta knows the bottleneck and it could have taken that long just to get through the bottleneck. And you lived through it. I was trying to keep you safe on the road like my job, you know, Tennessee Highway Safety Office, trying to get you safely through Atlanta. No, your neuroses that requires that you set tiny goals and achieve them like intensely with no sidebars and no sidetracks is what caused me to not have food that day. But you lived through it and I did reach my goals, which is the important thing. It's not the important (laughs) thing. It's not the important thing at all. (laughs) No, you get no credit for that. Did you eat? Eventually. Then we're good. (sighs) That's the only one you can think of. Hold on, hold on. All right, so the second parenting fail that I want to confront you with is the fact that, (laughs) again, it speaks to your neuroses. When I wanted to, like, have a sleepover with a friend or somebody wanted to, like, spend the night at our house, there had to be 48 hours notice. This was a thing that you instituted, and I think it's just because you didn't want me to have fun, zero fun ever, and so you instituted a 48-hour rule that you had to have notification 48 hours in advance for me to have a sleepover. See, I have no recollection of that. That is really (laughs) neurotic. That's not something I would have done. It probably, you know what? It actually sounds like a parenting confession on your part that you confessed that you made up some ridiculous 48 hour rule so that you would could get out of like managing other people's kids. (laughs) (laughs) Now that sounds like something I would do. But I don't know why it wasn't just like, I need 48 hours if you want somebody to spend the night here. But like last minute to get rid of me, you just loved me that much that you were like, no, we want you to spend every night here no, in no, our clutches. No, that wasn't it. <laughs> Seriously, that, that makes no sense. That didn't happen. Maybe that was your father. 
I don't know. That does not sound like something I would do at all, seriously. No, it was 100% you. And actually, I have many people who can corroborate this. Well, because it was a names. well-known fact in the small town of Martin, Tennessee, that the Van Addas had a 48-hour roll for sleepovers. I'm going to need the names and numbers of these people <laughs> because that, that is not something I would do. It's just not. Uh, okay, okay. But, I mean, you have no explanation whatsoever. How can I explain something that didn't happen? It did happen! I'm not, like, making it up. <laughs> making this up. Oh, my goodness. This is the last, like, parenting fail that I want to share. This one's really going to hurt. So, are you ready for this? This is, like, not a fun one. <laughs> There's nothing fun about this parenting fail. I'm ready for it. Okay, so this one time I was at basketball practice, and you also had a basketball game. Okay. So you and Dad had a basketball game. You had called and asked my coach to pick me up, or to to take me from that basketball game to your basketball game. And what actually happened was I got stuck at my middle school with no cell phone, and I was just sitting outside in the parking lot sobbing my face off because nobody picked me up from basketball practice and actually it's a really crazy story I swear up and down a million times that I met an angel or a ghost or something that day because I was banging on the doors to let me in because there was a there was a phone in the gym and so I was banging on the doors banging on the doors banging on the doors and then this guy comes around he's wearing like a, a maintenance outfit I've never seen him before in my life and I never saw him again afterwards and he let me in the gym to be able to call campus security and they were able to get to you and then you were able to send your team manager to come pick me up from practice and I guess technically it's not your fault because you did do your due diligence but like when I didn't show up (laughs) you were like so into the game you just didn't notice okay okay let's go back just a little bit trying to blame me for this is completely wrong because I talked I didn't call your coach I talked to her in person said you need to bring Casey to the gym so I'm laying all that blame on her (laughs) I ain't got nothing to do with me. Uh, okay, but not regular hey, second. Okay. Then, secondly, why would I assume? I mean, why would I look for you in the stands? You were around all the time anyway. I mean, <laughs> why would I care about the whereabouts of I my mean, child? We playing basketball. And that was important. And I sent a manager to you. However, let's look at the other side of it. You met an angel, which technically brought you on the road you're <laughs> no, on. No, no. And now you're a pastor because you met that angel in eighth grade. And when you're banging on the gym door. I haven't seen the angel since, but you did see the angel. So that was the beginning of your road to being a pastor. You are so full of <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's honest. You just admitted that it was an angel. You just said it was an angel. And I sent somebody to get you. You're fine. And you're and you're a deacon in the church. One of the best churches in the in the world. Because you Subtle met. plug for Foundry UMC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because you met that angel uh-huh. and custodian's clothing. I mean, angels come in all shapes. <laughs> <laughs> now you're preaching about angels. Somebody stop her, please. Okay, well, that's been uh, parenting fails. I do want to talk about some parenting wins, though, because that might, you know, help balance things out. Well, I don't know that we've mentioned any fails oh, so good far. God. Uh, okay, here's a parenting win. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. 
one of the parenting wins is that you 100% without a doubt instilled a work ethic in me that has produced all kinds of amazing things in my life. It's also created a perfectionism disorder (laughs) that I take medication for. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) But you did teach me about hard work very early on, encouraging me to play sports, instilling in me all sorts of great things like a competitive nature and a desire to win and a want to do things as good as I possibly can. And the downside of the perfectionism is just like debilitating anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) That's not I'm getting better, I'm gonna be honest with you. But that's totally a win. Absolutely a win. time for our get real segment where we read the lectionary text each week and we get real our lectionary text from this week comes from mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 15 and it's palm sunday y'all can you believe it here our text is in the new revised standard version it was two days before the passover and the festival of unleavened bread the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the, poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, and the money could have been given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and they promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. This is the word of the Lord. So um, let's do some initial reactions on this uh, for this text. What are your, how does this text hit you? Your initial reactions. Okay, we'll go back to my pet peeve here. Yeah. One more instance of somebody not doing what they were supposed to do. Judas just screwed everybody over right there. (laughs) Well, I mean, technically, I guess he did do what he said he was going to do. I mean, he did go (laughs) go to them and say, hey, I'm going to betray him. And then he did do that. Just, you know, I don't know if anybody here is looking for. (laughs) He didn't tell the person that he was going to betray that he was going to betray. Although, I mean, he 
He pretty well know. Jesus pretty well knew <laughs> it was gonna happen. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is not really. Smart I don't know if about it. You know, we need anybody to be taken up for Judas, but I will. I'll just say, like he did. The man is a man of his word. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me it's okay to betray Jesus? No, I'm just saying he did do what he said he was hey, going to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to screw over Jesus. And that's okay with you? <laughs> no, of course not. I'm just like, as you know, as you were saying that about your pet peeve, I was like, well, you know, I mean, like he the, didn't tell Jesus, but he well, did. Jesus knew, but I mean, for what? I don't, mean, I don't know for how much, but it was like a bribe, right? He took a bribe. Oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about this woman with the alabaster jar. Because there are a whole, I mean, everybody's got a hot take about the woman with the alabaster jar. There's a lot of, uh, well, actually, (laughs) mansplaining happening with the woman with the alabaster jar. Either she is, you know, put on this pedestal as a woman who did uh, exactly what she was supposed to do, gave up everything, which as as a woman, it's not hard to find that narrative in scripture. Women give up everything in scripture. Mary gives up her entire life and her relationship in some regard to her community uh, to be able to to birth the Christ child. And here we see yet another example of a woman giving up everything and being uh, sort of scorned and turned away by these men. And Jesus saying, no, like, she is doing this the way that you're supposed to do this. So it's like there are a couple degrees here of of what we're looking at. We're looking at a woman who's willing to sort of give give all of herself and her livelihood and whatever to be able to anoint Jesus for burial, which is huge. This is a huge thing. She plays an, a, a hugely important part in the gospel narrative and in, in um, the Mark gospel in particular. It's this real shift and turning point because this woman gets it. She understands it. And the yahoos around the table don't, of course. But then also, there's this other part of me that's like, yep, here we are continuing to further this narrative that for women to be important to Jesus, they have to not be Seraphonician. They have to be, you know, they have to fit into certain categories and be able to offer every single bit of themselves to get attention from Jesus. And it's it's a little bit conflicting, but that's just something that is an, an initial reaction. Another initial reaction I had was thinking about the Lord's Supper picture, which, and and thinking about, (laughs) it says in the text that the upper room that they went to was furnished. So I was like, how funny is that if they had like a 47 foot table? We were expecting you, all of you. (laughs) No, make sure you sit all on the same side. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, thinking about the upper room as already furnished is, is hilarious to me. Yeah, so what do you feel like this text in particular could mean for parents? The bottom line is this woman showed up and gave everything she had and that has to most that has to be the most real and authentic thing someone can do. That sounds like a parent to me, despite the fact that other people were judging her. She was doing the best thing that she knew how to do. So that does sound like a parent to me. She was resourceful, number one. Number two, she was intuitive. Number three, she actually kind of pushed through the awkwardness of the moment and did the thing. 
And then, yeah, she was, <laughs> she was kind of like denied her humanity by the people around the table, which I, I mean, I don't know about you all out there, but being a parent right now is a struggle. And thinking about the ways in which, you know, we, we all are just kind of trying to make it. Yeah, so any kind of uh, denial of humanity is just unacceptable. But everything that you're saying about how the she showed up and gave all of herself, yeah, that feels so much like a parent. And for those of you who are managing to, to continue to do that, amazing. And for those of you who are saying, I've been giving so, so much of myself all the time, and I really don't know how much longer I can do this, know that, that I'm sending so much solidarity your way and that you're not alone in that. It feels like four full-time jobs to try to manage all of the things that we're managing in this moment. What other thoughts do you have about this? I think that in this instance, it would be like, you can mess with me, but don't mess with my kids. <laughs> like a little mama bear energy. I get that too from the Seraphonician woman who has the demon-possessed child. She's <laughs> she's the one who like famously bests Jesus. And it's it's mama bear energy. Like hashtag mama bear. Don't, don't mess. Yeah, there's just like some kind of assuredness and groundedness with the woman with the alabaster jar. And then the great thing that happens at the end is Jesus says, forever. We're going to tell this story forever and places this woman um, at the center of the gospel narrative in many ways. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of a, a, a beautiful thing. I want to remind us too that it, it's like the lectionary for this week, it's Palm Sunday. And and I just want to say, like, for those of us who are Foundry members who listen to this podcast, Palm Sunday is a big opportunity for our kids. We all come in waving palm branches and singing, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And it's something that um, I'm just grieving really hard right now. And so if you're one of those people who's grieving that as well, know that we are grieving that with you. But But Jesus is still entering. Right? So there is still a triumphal entry, and we are headed into Holy Week, people. We are headed into Holy Week. And I want you to know as we go through this Holy Week and as we're um, closing up on Lent, that some of the things that we've been talking about, about how hard this journey has been, about lament, about grief, about all of the big emotions that we're holding, that Jesus is, is coming that Easter is coming, that we can finally sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I want you to just hold on, just hold on a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. On the day that this releases, we'll have Monday, Thursday, the next day, and Good Friday, and then Holy Saturday, everything will be dark. And then on Sunday, we will celebrate the resurrection of the Christ together. And I look forward to that. Any last words, Kim? No, I don't have any <laughs> I wasn't aware that I was supposed to prepare a speech. Well, I mean, we're, it's, it's Holy Week. I was just talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. I feel like you should always have last words prepared. I don't have it. How can I top Jesus' resurrection? <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to add to Jesus' resurrection? Uh, hip, yippee! <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this has been a, a podcast with my mom. 
Every week we'll have a parent mantra, something that you can say to yourself or to your partner so that you can be reminded you're not alone. The Auto Parent Podcast family and the Foundry family ministries are with you on this journey. Your mantra for this week is what I have to give is enough. What I have to give is enough. Because friends, if we don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince our kids. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. And remember to be gentle with yourselves. You don't have to be an auto parent to be a good one. Join us next week, same time, same place. You can find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, www.foundryumc.org. If you're specifically looking for information about our Family Ministries Department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash familyministries. Thank you.